out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest this week. It's going to be the turn of the singer, guitarist and also author. It is the one and only Kathy Valentine, um, one-time member of the Go-Go's. They might still be going. It's a tricky one. Who knows? But uh, she's brought a book out which is just available now in the UK. It's been available in the USA for quite some time. This is on Jawbone Press. It's titled All I Ever Wanted, Kathy Valentine, a rock and roll memoir. So this is the interview. So after several minutes of casual chat, we got down to that very exciting subject that was, um, well, basically the reason for um, bringing the book out. And um, yes, a little bit of a background before we get into some other groovy stuff. Anyway, Kathy, tell us about how the book came into being. It's over to you. Well, I, I started playing around with the idea in 2010 and writing essays and whatnot. And um, I actually contacted a book agent and said, do you think I would have any chance at, at getting a book deal to for my memoir? And this particular agent said, only if you just told a lot of dirt about the Go-Go's. And I just kind of put the idea on the shelf because I thought, well, that's not the book I want to write. Um, and as the years went by, you know, I kind of would still write some, but not really with the hope. And then I was offered a book deal and I jumped on it because by that time it was 2016. I'd been playing with the idea for years and I now I had a chance to actually do it. And I felt by that time that I had a compelling story. I felt like there wasn't a lot of women who had made, you know, playing in bands and being in, in rock and roll their entire life. I, I've been in bands since, you know, the age of 15, you know, yes. nonstop. I think the only thing that stopped me from being in a band was COVID. So um, there's not a lot of us that have done that. That's, that's an interesting story. And I wanted to kind of sh- show what, my childhood was like and what my adolescence and and growing up was like and what why rock and roll saved me and why being in a band was everything to me and also how you put the pieces back together lose that so i felt like i had a good story it's it certainly is a case of because you you, your sort of childhood stories are quite unbelievable i mean i say completely uh, unbelievable but obviously having done lots of interviews with people there there are quite a lot of grim sort of um teen stories where people jump out of windows of their bedroom and never see their parents again and you know just live in rough and then it's you know people like there was a film wasn't there she hit so hard patty uh, Shima, Shima. Yeah, Shima yeah. which is quite an extraordinary story and then, then the Lunar Chicks brought their book out and I did interviews with two of them including the drummer and her stories again you know quite horrendous you know it, it, it kind of hits rock bottom when you're suddenly living in the back of a car isn't it that's when things aren't going or you're in a hostel so so it doesn't start well but your childhood you know going back to that experience had you had you sort of um, put it in a box and just stuck it on the shelf and hadn't thought about it that much until you started writing the book? Or was it something that was just on your mind, always bubbling under, and you just felt like you would like to just somehow process it in a different way? Well, when I started out to write my story, um, I did an outline and I started seeing um, 
events, you know, on a regular basis. And uh, the outline, I realized that the real story went from pretty much the age of 11 to the age of 30. Not that there wasn't things before that or after that, but this was a compelling arc where, where I, I, everything hit the fan, all the shit hit the fan and it was very difficult. And then I got, you know, I overcame so much, peaked and then lost everything and, you know, started going down and had to kind of pull life together again. And as I was writing it, I didn't realize what a healing process it would be. And no, I didn't, I never dwelled on the stuff of my childhood. There was many times writing it where I literally pushed myself away from the desk and sobbed, you know, and was really feeling this stuff for the first time. And I will say, part of that is, part of it was sobriety, you know, sobriety. I, I had so much loneliness and loss and betrayal and feeling just kind of like, just like a confused, lost, unloved and uncared for little girl that I, I kind of took it on my, myself to, it's my job to take care of me. No one's gonna do that. My mother's not doing it. My dad's not gonna do it. No one's gonna do that except me. And therefore to take care of myself, none of this helps. So I, from a very young age, I was pushing away any of those feelings that kind of prevented me from taking care of myself. And that also, that's when alcohol and drugs helped with that as, you know, as well, because, so yeah, I mean, it was not always there, but it wasn't always there because I was pushing it down, pushing it aside, putting it a box, you know, on the, <laughs> on the shelf. And uh, I think the two things, I mean, therapy helped somewhat, but writing a book, writing a memoir is the most extensive and deepest and most profound and the cheapest therapy anyone will ever find. <laughs> Yes, it's well. It's quite interesting because I'm sort of you know I've been quite fascinated and reading your story is kind of like you really set quite a bar there. And and you know quite a few years ago, I suppose I went to one of those Tony Robbins kind of five day weekends, you know, about unleash the power and and very quick, you know, he's very into that. I mean, it's quite simplistic, isn't it? You know, just like don't dwell on the past and put it in the box and put it. But then one day, I think it does. It's probably better than keep dragging it around every day and meeting everybody you you know everybody you see you talk about it. But then I think one day there is that moment where you need to re-engage with it and then somehow find some form of peace but I don't think that can happen when you're through it and even when you're just a bit through it and it's still a bit sort of connected it's like when it's almost like another person I wondered when you were writing it did that did that person that you were writing about did did it did that did that young child feel which is you um did they feel quite distant and then as you wrote it you you were sort of became a bit warmer to them or more connected to that person i tried uh i made sure that i wasn't really happy with what i wrote until i was really in the place i used music to help me a lot i i made playlists of each year what i was listening to and because music really takes you back to a certain time and place um Sometimes I would just like I would write a couple of pages and I would read it and I would say this is this is well done good sentences good grammar. Uh, coherent good writing it's not memoir it's not deep enough do it again, and I would push myself to go deeper because I tried to I wanted to only write when it was 
really in the feeling so I could get that feeling on the page and so that my reader, because we've all had these feelings in different ways, different um, you know, circumstances and situations, but we've all felt these things and I really wanted to connect with whoever was reading my book. And I did, I did feel like um, that the way I look at it, I think what you're saying is so true. And I, I've been very interested and curious, like why one person goes through a hard time and, you know, goes through life as a victim, you know, or seems to kind of relive that situation over and over or seek it out or, you know, worst case scenario becomes a incurable addict or, or whatever. And, and, um, and others don't, they, it becomes a source of strength. I've never quite, I don't know what that is, if it's character or what, but for me, I look at it like it's the furniture that you have. It's the, and, and you can rearrange the furniture to make it a bit more comfortable where you're not like, I know it's a, a kind of a simplistic an analogy, but I really do think the things we grow up with are the, that's what we're given. And it's kind of up to us to put it in the, in the places where you're not going to be stumbling over it and bumping into it every time you take a step, you know, you, you, you put this, you take a look, oh, look at this. Okay, I'm going to put this against this wall. And every time I walk by it, I'm going to go, oh, yes, that's there. But at least I'm not bumping into it or, or, or uh, tripping over it. Yes. Yes, it does make sense, because I, I suppose I find it kind of interesting, and, and the book brings out lots of kind of feelings and emotions, obviously for the reader, as well as obviously for yourself, because on one level, as an adult, you know, when I look at things that have happened which are horrible, eventually I had to take responsibility that I chose certain things and I chose to be with that person I chose to do that so that's kind of like and then I don't feel like the victim because feeling like the victim doesn't help and you somehow keep repeating those kind of scenarios but with different times and different people and you keep thinking god it's almost like god says oh look I'll give you another little scenario but this will be slightly different and and you won't and then you'll repeat it and then one day you won't repeat it and you think, oh I've grown but I think that that's one thing as an adult but with your childhood it was so you know, you, you're not giving those kind of, you, you don't have those choices so much as you do when you're an adult, which is the, the moment you take responsibility, like, well, I chose to be that person. And I should realise that they were like that. They did, they did give me lots of warning signs and I chose to keep with them. Or, you know, not just in a relationship, but friendships and stuff. And, and one of the most profound things people once said, or remember someone saying was that you, you're the average of the five people you hang out with. And I thought, Oh my God, that's so deep. I make a note. Um, I remember that. But your childhood, you know, your mum taking cocaine, your boyfriend, and then your mum saying, oh, by the way, you know, I was having sex with your boyfriend. And it's like, mum, that's kind of illegal. I mean, things like that is a little bit, you know, that sets the bar in another level, doesn't it? And I just wondered how you were feeling processing that, especially writing it as well. Well, that was one point in the book where I actually came very much in the present. So I, I wrote about it happening, was in one era. I wrote about her telling me about it in another era. And then I wrote about the present time where I said to her, what were you thinking? What were you thinking? I could have been, you know, you could have been thrown in jail. I could have been put in foster care. Uh, and I, I wrote about what her reaction was and what it felt like to, as it today as I'm writing the story to, to get this reaction, which wasn't satisfying. Uh, um, but here's the thing, you know, and my mom, I think, was so brave to let me write 
the truthful story. And I asked her everything. I mean, my book would have been a great read without including many of the things, but it was such a, a kind of important thing to show about what I was feeling like and what, what my circumstances were, which really led me to, to music and to rock and roll, which saved me. And I thought, I went to my mom each time, I'm gonna write about this, are you okay with it? And she would kept saying, yes, it's your story. You write what you want. And her doing that was gave me a new lens to see how she parented me. Even though she didn't guide me, she didn't protect me, she didn't give me any boundaries. All these things are, you know, extremely important for a parent, mm -hmm. but she did support me. When I said, I want to, you know, when I was really miserable and being ostracized in school, she pulled me out of school and found this other like alternative crazy school that was like a hippie commune and put me in there. That's supporting me, you know? It's like what's happening in Texas now with trans transgender children. You know, the governor is trying to stop parents from supporting their children who wanna come out. And it's just like, that's devastating for a child to not have what they, what they need supported. So she, if I hadn't gone to that school, I would have never started playing the guitar. She, when I said I wanted to be in a band, she was like, go for it. I mean, I felt like I could do anything. So that's why it's not boundaries and protection and all that stuff. It's not real parenting. It is something. And I was able to see that lens and it opened my heart is what I'm trying to say. Like her being brave enough to let me tell the truth of our story opened my heart to seeing that she did things as a mother that were helpful to me yes so that had so yeah so that process then did you before okay this is quite curious so before did you i'm just i'm you know it might not be so but did you feel quite different about your mother after you wrote the book and processed it and spoke to her than you did before and i was just curious because i suppose i've had lots of conversations with other people about this is that they went from oh god my, my parents are blah you know hate them or difficult to actually get into another point saying i realized they did the best they could with the choices and the mindset they had and they didn't really know any better but it is you know i've kind of managed to let go and i wondered if you'd had a slightly yeah. similar experience i did when i started the book i had an enormous amount of resentment towards her my mom an enormous amount and it's not the best feeling you know i don't have a a, a big family i mean i have the family i've created i've got my daughter and my ex-husband and a handful of close friends that feel like my brothers and sisters but through all through most of my through all of my childhood and growing up and my young adult life she was the only family i had when i was you know succeeding in the go-go's i would fly my mom to a, a a big concert or something and over the years our roles kind of really reversed where it became like i was the mother and i started kind of giving her money and taking you know and i just started resenting it after a while i just really built it and it wasn't until um i became a mother myself that i started resenting even more because i would look at you know how the kind of mother i was and started seeing very clearly the kind of mother i didn't have um and the book was really a great healing process for me uh i really believe that 
given my mom's fundamental nature that she did, uh, it was kind of against everything in her nature to even, you know, be responsible enough to have a job and have a roof over my head and make sure that I was fed and clothed. I mean, that's kind of, that in itself is against her nature. She's, so that made me realize that like you just said, you know, some parents do the best they can. And she was very young. She yes. left England at 20 years old and had me at 21 and had a very sheltered, you know, upbringing. She was sent off to the country during the war and, you know, just like, you know, bombs are being dropped in, on London. And she, she just had a very different kind of upbringing. When she moved to America, you know, she was a young, she was very young. She had no experience of being an adult. It's kind of like, as I write about being in the go-go's, I'm 22 years old. I don't have any emotional maturity. I don't have any compassion. I don't have any of the tools that make me be a good bandmate or a mature person in a relationship. I don't have that stuff. Nobody has that at 22. Well, some people do, but most, you know, are still kind of evolving and becoming their best selves. So my mom was that same age, but she was with a, a, a baby. Yes, that's amazing. So the London, the England connection is quite fascinating then. So she was in London during the war. Yeah, yeah and she was. And was, a, uh, and was one of the evacuees. Do you, do you know where she ended up going for the um, year? Well, they were, she's talked about, I've tried to get her to write her memoir. Um, they, they, she remembers really well the bomb shelters and the sound of the this, I forget what they're called, but there's certain like things that they would drop, and um, dingle, dingle bucks or something. Dingle yes, bucks. something like that, dingles or something. Yeah, she remembers that really well. And her parents were so frightened for her well-being that they would send her to a relative's farm in Lancashire. Right. And so she would spend months there, and I said, "What did that feel like?" And she said, "I felt really special that I was important enough." to be sent away. And I said, you weren't scared as a little girl. She said, no, I felt really special. And so sometimes I thought, aha, that's where it started. <laughs> <laughs> I feel yes. so special, I don't have to do anything. My mom like doesn't think their rules apply to her at all. <laughs> yes, well, it's interesting because because you mentioned Keith Richards in the book and the Rolling Stones, and it's because I know with his book, he's he's kind of in a pram, isn't he? In London, and bombs are being dropped and are just missing his house and pram. So it's quite a nice little connection because decades later, you know, there is a sort of meeting with the Stones when you were supporting them. But your the English connection I found really fascinating because I know that. I think it was Anne Magnuson, Magnuson. She'd also come over to London during that sort of punk period. So you'd sort of got that London punk scene and sort of kind of stiff records and Elvis Costello and the, you know, the Sex Pistols. So that was all part of your sort of musical kind of education, really, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, being um, half English and being able to have access to another country as, a, as an adolescent and a child and growing up was, you know, in many ways, kind of was a, a, a lifeline when things, when I was being very ostracized and, you know, made fun of and not fitting in and, you know, being rumors and lies being told and miserable existence, you know, off we'd go to England and all of a sudden I'm on the tube and I'm, you know, flying about this amazing city and I got my first job there. I felt so independent and I could go back and not internalize uh, the abuse that I was getting 
in uh, in Austin, Texas, as much. But musically, yes, I, you know, it was in England that I saw Susie Quattro and realized that I could be in a band. You know, I, I rock and roll had saved me as a youngster, like it does so many of us. But yes. it never occurred to me that I could be in a band. All the bands I liked were were men. It was all the Faces and Led Zeppelin and the Stones and the Beatles and you know, uh, David Bowie, and there wasn't any women, any, any, and, and even in America, like some of the blue, like, you know, I liked, uh, what was it, Mountain and Cream and, and uh, God, all these kind of bluesy rock bands and ZZ Top, and it was all men, all of them, so it never occurred to me that I could be in a band until I saw Susie play. And she was there. I know we remember Susie so well. Can the Can was just one of those classic yeah. songs. And, it, you know, and again, her, you know, the Mickey, the Mickey Mouse production. But it was, so, it, but, was so that thing in England of that led me to being in bands. And then immediately I'm like, I want to be this great guitarist. It's going to take me years and years, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to practice every day. And then I'm in England and then punk rock is happening. And I'm like, oh, wait. I can do it now. I don't have to wait. <laughs> yes, I don't have to play true. like uh, Jimmy Page or Jeff Beck. I can, I can play like you know, I can play like Steve Jones or Johnny Ramone, and and be in a band now. You know. Yes, absolutely. And the band, you know, because because I haven't done this show for a long time. I mean, the band, the five year narrative is such a classic, isn't it? You know, in England, it was like get together for 12 months, you know, get a single John Peel, this, you know, the DJ would play it, get a John Peel session, first album, things going well. And as you probably realise from England, it's tiny, isn't it? As a place, tiny little country. And, you know, every city and town has a venue, don't they? You know, like an alternative night, so people get in their little transit van and literally to or England and it's so much easier because most bands break up from England and one of the reasons is that they often go oh we went to America and then we came back and broke up because it's so big and it's so expansive but the UK is small so the first album is normally the honeymoon phase and the second album can be a bit tricky and the third album oh it's not good and and amazing your story of the Go-Go's is, is just like oh my god when I was reading this it's like oh my god it's it's exactly the same it doesn't matter does it different different country you know, slightly different gender, but still the five-year narrative is so strong. It's a hard one to break, isn't it? But you were oh, on IRS Records as well, which was Miles Copeland's kind of label. Yes, and um, Miles has a book out that I've been um, meaning to get started on. It's on the same publisher that's put my book out in England. And uh, yeah, Miles um, saw in the Go-Go's what no one else saw. You know, he was quite visionary and, you know, he... Uh, in return, we paid him back his belief in us by giving IRS Records their first number one. Yes, I know. Well, yes, his book is good. I, you know, I did an interview with the old Miles and amazing story. You know, he was so young when he started and then he sort of, it was punk that, you know, sort of he got back into it and then, you know, the police and then the rest of it is an REM. So it was quite amazing. So kind of coming back to the band, I mean, were you, because, because of your background and the punk and, you know, bands that you loved you know the sound of the go-go's is so you know it's so perfect pop were you do you sometimes listen back to those records and feel a little bit like oh that was sometimes a bit hard to kind of keep your artistic integrity uh no because I was really about always about the song you know no matter what the genre I don't mind if it's you know if it's Motown or funk or country or 
you know, classic rock or what, it's really about what's a good song. And the, fir the first thing that struck me about the Go-Go's when I learned this, their set was, oh, this band has great songs. And it excited me. Uh, I wasn't, I wasn't a real big songwriter. I'd written a, a handful of songs that ended up being, you know, in the Go-Go's catalog as well. But uh, I was really impressed with, with the songs. And I think that the way they were recorded, you know, at the time, what I wrote in my book was that at the time we thought it sounded a bit, not like how we really sounded. We wanted it to sound, you know, like, the Ramones or something, just really raw and powerful. And it sounded more commercial and we were a bit disappointed and let down, but in retrospect, and even as it was, you know, starting to be a, a massive selling album, we started realizing how smart Richard Goddard, our producer was, in fact, to really focus on the song more than, you know, sounding like what was happening at that time. Yes. And, uh, no, I don't, I don't listen back there's been times where I've said like, oh, what would it be like to re-record this record? But I, I think I did a great job of describing this in my book and, and I didn't realize it until I wrote it, but I do believe, even though it sounds kind of like, you know, impossible, I do believe there was something else captured in that album besides Analog Signal. And there was, uh, an, there was a quality of who we were, this exuberance and this youthfulness and this you know, hope and just kind of brass, you know, sassy kind of swagger that we brought to that record that is on there. And I think if we re-recorded it, we might get, you know, more crunchy sounds and whatnot, but I don't think we would ever get that. that oh, God, it's not, it's not good to go back, is it? But talking of going back, you know, what was it like occasionally sort of having reunions and bringing the band back together again? I mean, Having done the, you know, written through this with and thought through it with the book, you know, I just wondered what it was like, A, doing the, you know, writing and processing, and at the time having those reunions, were, were they kind of an important form of um, completion or sort of just going back thinking, I really want to do this again? I didn't, did you at the time take it a bit for granted and think, oh, this is what it's all going to be like from now on? Well, you know, reunion is a bit, it's a, a I don't know if that, word actually describes our trajectory because we broke up in 85 we came back to do a tour and then we broke up again until basically 1994 and then we stayed we we made recordings we toured for for a very long time from basically 1995 all the way up until 2011 when i was booted out of the band and it was really the ugliest worst part of our entire history. It's not in my book because my book stops at age 30, but if I do a sequel, it will be in there. Um, and I came back in the band in 2018 and we went on to do a documentary. Uh, we had a Broadway musical and ultimately ended up in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So our trajectory has been lurches like just big giant drops and whatnot and I don't know if reunions really captures it and I really feel like we are psychically bonded you know I don't think that this band will ever not mean something to each other and um, it's been a it's really difficult to explain this I hope it doesn't come off wrong but the Go-Go's has been 
on the one hand, the best thing that ever, ever happened to me other than being a mother, and also the most frustrating and disappointing thing. Because I really wanted to be in a band that was at the, in the, the long, the long um, sustained career kind of band, like you see with the Stones or U2 or Cheap Trick or, you know, these bands that come together and maybe they make a dud album, but then they come back and then they tour. It's like, I thought we were magic and that we should just always do it and yes. always improve and become better. And that isn't what happened. What happened was we broke up. Belinda ended up being very successful. When we came back, it was always in a very limited scope. We did little bits. We recorded a little bit. We've done amazing, incredible things, but it's also been very frustrating to not, um, I don't know what to say. It just seems like uh, the amount of opportunity of what we could have been is is a bit of a, a missed one. Yes, yes. I know. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because... Um... And I'm not ungrateful. I don't mean to sound like... No, like, no, I completely, I completely understand. It you. is the greatest thing ever. But at the same time, when I started out, that was my goal, to be, you know, to be like in a cheap trick or a Stones, a band that changed and evolved and got better and better and better and just stayed with it. Yes, well, I, I mean, I quite liked you two when they first started and then got bored of them, but they completely appreciate the fact that they've managed to stick with it and deal with that kind of dynamic that they must have. And it's like, okay, let's sort out the business, let's sort out the contracts, let's sort out the royalties, and let's decide that, you know, we could do something, but it's not going to be as good as being in you two. So we could avoid each other for a few years here and there, but let's, you know, this is our gig and this is going to pay some expenses in our life I, you know and I've come to appreciate that because I think god that is quite clever really isn't it it's really remarkable when you think of all the bands that could have just gone and gone and didn't didn't stay together so the fact that the Go-Go's are still doing what we do and I'm really worried that I sound like I'm a complainer because I really am not it's just that fans say to me all the time like why aren't you touring why aren't you recording and you know I'm just a, a person in a band we're not like I'm not like the the solo artist paying my backup band where I get to decide what we do. So it, it's frustrating, but, but yeah, it's, it's amazing that we've done what we've done given, you know, we've had a lot of extreme dysfunction and extreme to toxicity amongst between us. So it's pretty remarkable that we can all get on a group text and make each other laugh in 2022. Yes. Which is amazing because there was a story, you know, with your was a drummer who had um, open heart surgery at sort of the age of, you know, in her 20s, mid 20s, which I just thought was just kind of boggling, really. I mean, it's one of those things. It's almost like your life is magnified being in a band because so much is so dramatic. Um, and then to navigate all those kind of experiences while not having quite the grip of what's going on with things like probably royalties and publishing at the same time is, is quite something. And then touring with people like, you know, the Stones or supporting them and David Bowie. Those moments when you were writing that must have felt kind of like, I can't believe it. I remember, you know, being such a fan and now I'm there. And, and there's a nice line from Keith, isn't there? We're in the same union. I thought that was great. Oh, yeah. I mean, meeting meeting um, um, Keith, I literally remember every word that he said, you know, that was that big a deal to me. And I was just so like making sure that I just stayed really, really cool 
Um, since then, I got to encounter him a couple of more times, you know, after the span of the book ended, and they, they were all equally as memorable. He's one of these people that is not a disappointment in the least. You know, Excellent. a lot of people talk about meeting their idols and, oh, you know, they, they, they weren't, they wish they hadn't. Not like that with Keith. Yes. And the, one of the characters in the, and I just, because I've only just sort of read the PDF, you know, Danny Harvey. Yes. Bit, is that Danny B. Harvey who was in the Headcats? Yeah, yeah. Ah, oh, sorry. I just was thinking. I wonder if that's the same one because I've interviewed him a few months ago, and because of the yeah, yeah. Oh. We're, we're still friends. Danny was my first boyfriend, and he was very young. I was very young. We met in New York when I was doing Beauty and the Beat, and uh, for the first two years of me being in the Go Go's, you know, he put up with me being an absolutely atrocious girlfriend, and uh, but we've stayed dear friends. And he's he's done. He's he's had quite an interesting. Um, career run himself, hasn't he? Well, absolutely, absolutely. And I have to say, you know, the solo album you did, um, oh, it was probably quite a few years ago now, 2005, which was Light Years. There's some amazing work on that album as well as a songwriter. There's an amazing, there's a song called Retouch Me, which has got the most fantastic guitar rift in it. And um, I don't know if you can remember that album. Yeah, that oh, yeah. I'm so proud of that record. And I could just like, throw my arms around you for mentioning it because it really went nowhere, you know, and not that many people have, have heard it probably, you know, in the thousands is all that's heard it. And I'm so proud of it. And it's funny because I did that record. I was, I was not in the Go-Go's. I was not in a band. I was pregnant. What am I going to do? I never wanted to be a solo artist. Never. It's never been my goal, but I had a little Pro Tools studio and some really cool friends, you know, that, were happy to help me and I made the record and that record did so much for me when I went back to the Go-Go's I had a level of confidence that I'd never had because I think that record is what made me really believe and this is a message I like to put out to people because I was you know 35 no wait what's I 40 40 years old when I made the record and um 40 41 something like that and that was what made me fully go I'm really good. I'm a good, I'm very musical. I'm a good writer, a great songwriter. I'm a great lyricist. I'm a great musician. I'm a great producer. And, and I'm not saying that like, oh, I'm the greatest, but to feel that, to, to go into where you've always kind of felt like not quite enough. And whether the album was a success or not, it doesn't matter because for me, I will always feel like a success when I when I think about that record because of what it made me feel like. Yes, no, I think it was you know some really fantastic parts and and well the whole not just parts but you know there's some great songs and just great you know guitar riffs which I was listening to and then I sort of saw who you had on the album as well with you know like people like Clem Burke and also Pete Thomas of you know um, Elvis Costello and and worked with Suzanne Vega fame so you 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 really pulled in a lot of very good musicians as well so you must have been the person who was holding the baton must have felt like quite a a growth moment as well thinking gosh this is this is not just me in the corner this is me having to pull it together and organize it so that that must have felt like quite an interesting challenge that you got through well I I one of the things I realized in the book that I really enjoyed writing, when you write a book, sometimes you see patterns that you don't always see in the chaos of your memories and the jumble. Uh, and I saw a pattern that, 
that male musicians had always been very success, uh, very supportive to me uh, from the from the moment I started playing. You know, when I would meet a guitar player or some rock and roll guy, or you know, even in the '90s, I when I met Keith again, I was like, "Hey, show me some cool riff on the guitar," and he didn't hesitate. And it's like I've always had that experience. So it was wonderful when I made my record that so many of my peers. Uh, came to my assistance, even though, you know, I I'm not the greatest singer. I don't pretend to be, but they, they knew, they believed in me and know that I have the, the passion and the, the artistry to make something good that they wouldn't be, you know, wishing they hadn't gotten involved with. So yeah, a lot of support from, from wonderful musicians. Yes. And just kind of lastly, because there's been, I'm not sure, I think most, a lot of these books came out probably either around the same time yours did but I just wondered if you have also when you were writing yours whether you stopped writing reading other people's memoirs and watching documentaries because being a fan you know I'm, I'm I love my rock documentaries on anybody and everything so and then obviously books as well I just wondered as a but you're in it whether you had to just say no I don't want to read what that person's been talking about and be too influenced I just wondered how, how you know how your creative process was doing that I there was one book I read that really helped me. Well, first of all, the book that I really strove to emulate was Just Kids by Patti Smith. To me, that was the absolute best memoir of someone in the music business that I had ever read. And I knew that I wouldn't have the same voice and probably not the same literary skills as Patti Smith, but I knew if I was shooting in that direction, at least I would fall short in the right direction. Yes. And as I was reading, as I was writing my book, I also read Chronicles by Bob Dylan, and that uh, blew me away, blew me away. And that actually changed some, I went back through my book, what I had written, uh, taking in some of what I, and the main thing was how Bob would describe people. Like his descriptions were so, uh, they really gave you, like, in just a few sentences, a sense of who a person was. Mm -hmm. and, and I was so impressed with how he did that. And it made me go back through my book. And every time I mentioned someone, I thought, how can I, how can I, in a literary better way, show my reader who this person is without just saying, oh, you know, they're six feet tall and have brown hair. And yes. they, you know, did did you what did you find your voice because I, I did an interview last night in fact with Dorothy Max Pryor who who was part of the punk scene and adamant scene and stuff like that and you know was into a lot of bands and and musical theater dance theater company but she, so she's writing her book at the moment well I probably finished it but said that when she went back and she was piecing things together she had to try and get her voice to to do the whole well she was doing eight years I think so did you also have to kind of find your voice which you know I just wonder what that process was like for you well I had this advantage of having been a songwriter uh, for a, a long time which and also being a, a college student I'd been taking creative writing classes and uh, taking other classes I'd actually just graduated from college last year um, so I had done a lot of essays a lot of research papers I'd written you know, probably hundreds of songs. And so I had a really good sense of what I call like judgment. 
like what do you leave in what do you take out that's mm -hmm. that is the essence of any art you know if you're a painter you know which which brush do you use what stroke do you and when do you stop when is it done and so i i had i had skills from my my past that helped me as a as a as a writer and as far as my voice um i think it just it, it kind of happened naturally i just wanted you know, and I, I didn't notice that as I was writing that sometimes I was writing in the voice of who, where I was in my life. Like when I'm writing as a 16, 17 year old, the writing has a bit more kind of defiance and that kind of youthful energy to it. Mm -hmm. Whereas when I'm writing at the age of 27 and 28 when I'm lost and confused and everything I, I feel I sense that in the writing so I was really inhabiting the the me that I was when I was writing about that me and I know I don't think people that read it know me well enough to know to notice it but some might perceive that because I noticed it a lot I'm like oh the the voice of this chapter is a bit different from the voice of that chapter because it's me and it's my story and I'm the one that I'm writing about and I have to inhabit that me in order to write it kind of with authenticity. Yes, that's it is interesting. I mean, that's something that one only can understand when you've written a book. I haven't, so but I've heard about, I've heard about this, which has always been kind of interesting. Does that mean that as you're sort of now sort of seeing the book coming out and, and sort of doing your promotion and seeing it in the bookshops and getting great reviews. Is there part of you who's just kind of itching to do the next section just because you think, God, there's things I really want to both explore, but also just find it kind of a really enjoyable process of, you know, what to do on certain days of the week? Well, as a matter of fact, you know, I'm in my 60s now and the go-go's are winding down and I love playing in a band and it's, you know, probably something I will do as long as I'm able to. But um, I'm my, I have new dreams and new goals and, and they are driving me just as much as being in a band was. And that is to be a writer and to be a really good writer. And uh, to that ends, I would love for my next book to be a collection of literary short stories. That's what I'm working on with a soundtrack. I did a soundtrack to my book and it was one of the most creative and exciting things I'd ever done to combine my musical skills with my mm. writing skills. And so I would like very much to do the short story collection. And then I would like to do a sequel to my memoir that goes from the time of 30 to the present, reinventing, finding your place in the world all over again in your 60s is something that we all go through. Women, men, we all come to a place where, you know, our jobs kind of make us redundant, our, our spouses leave or pass away, our children leave. You know, we, I think we all come to a place where everything we've done is kind of off the table. And now what, now what do we do? Mm. You know? And, and so I would very much like to address that as well as themes of, you know, betrayal and motherhood and divorce and marriage and parenting and 
all the other stuff that has happened from when my book cut off to now. Yes, well, there is the the great, there are some, you know, like you said, there's kind of some amazing things, which you, unless someone writes about them and talks about them, we, we don't really appreciate. And, you know, especially being a man. So things like pregnancy and what happens to your career, you know, not just in music, but just generally, it's like, okay, that's that's kind of dropped out. But also things like the menopause, how do, you know, women tackle that in their career in their life in their self self-esteem so there's there's kind of all these kind of interesting topics or subjects that are so far have not really been explored and when I've started reading more and hearing more what people say it's given me more appreciation you know you know realizing oh I didn't realize that yes I had a slight idea but you know it's only through kind of people talking about it that these these subjects become interesting to the wider audience yeah yeah I think so um I, I I'm excited about being excited about being in my 60s you know I, I'm 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 really it feels normal to me to know to have a dream you know it's like to me not knowing what what I'm going for doesn't feel right or comfortable to me. So I have a dream now and it's a new one and it's not about being in a band. It's about being, you know, the writer that's me. Excellent. So just lastly thing-ish, um, probably is, but if you could have whispered something in your, you know, like your 16-year-old's kind of ear is, that, you know, just kind of walking down the corridor or whatever. Is there, is there any, you know, any kind of, kind of little word of wisdom or advice that you'd have just kind of thought that you've found, you know, discovered through life's lesson, not lessons, but experiences and a bit of wisdom. I just wonder if there's anything that you would have thought, yeah, I'd have really loved to have whispered that in my ear when I was 16, but you may I have. Wish I, I wish I had known, like I was just talking about, you know, doing my record. I wish I had known how good I was, you know, I wish I'd known that I was, that I was, a, that I was everything I wanted to be, I was. You know, everything I think I was kind of fronting and putting up this bravado that I was, I actually was that already. And I wish I had known that. Um, and I wish I had been inhabited myself more sooner because really this is the first time in my career that I'm being Kathy Valentine. All of my considerable energy, drive and focus, my entire career has been put towards an entity, a collective of people, the band. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I wish that I had maybe started and I don't know what I would have done because again, I don't want to be a solo artist. So since I was so focused on music, you know, it was really about just being in a band or I wish I'd produced more people or just been more, more Kathy Valentine and less always about the band because people let you down and it's great to be in a band. It's great to be a good bandmate, but it's always a really smart thing to be very to focus on what you can accomplish on your own without that padding around you yes god that's so that is good wise choice and just what's the name of your cat by the way i just saw the tail walk by i love cats oh that's rocky that's rocky i have two i have three rescue animals a dog and two cats and rocky is um he's quite a character 
with such a character. Well, look, Kathy, thank you ever so much for this. This is amazing. And I've really loved, you know, like I said, I've only got the PDF, but I'll go and buy a copy because it's such a great book. And it's been, you know, a great story so far. So look forward to hopefully more. But um, yes, it's been great. And, and thanks for sort of being so honest with your writing. It's quite, you know, quite um, a page turner, isn't it? So uh, yeah, it's come together well. And, we, and just, and, do, and when you, um, you know, when the other members of the band read the book or have they or probably have I mean have you had much feedback from them as well from it yeah everyone was proud of me and and really um I, I got it's funny because I asked them if they wanted to read before I published it and they all said no we trust you which was enormous especially as I'd been you know tossed out out of the band for five years um and then they they all were proud and 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 hugely supportive and um gina has a book now and i've we've done some book events together and uh it's we're in a really good place a really good place yes it's great well look thank you again and look really appreciate this time and um i'll sort of be in touch with ben and then you know give him the interview but thanks a lot for your time i'll I'll, I'll share it uh, when i find out about it and thanks for your time and thank you for getting my book and yes appreciate it Yes, good one. Okay, have a lovely day, evening. You too, have a lovely okay. evening. See you later. Bye. And that was me in conversation with Kathy Valentine, whose book, All I Ever Wanted, a rock and roll memoir, is available from all good bookshops online. It is. Uh, it was published by Jawbone Press. It came out March the 22nd, 2022. I think it's been available in the USA much longer, though, probably last year. But anyway, look, this has been David Eastall, the C86 Show. If you want to contact me for some random reason, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just do C86 Show. And also, all these interviews have been archived. You can find those on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean. That's true. Anyway... Have a great week. Stay safe.